0: What could loving your neighbor actually look like? Welcome to the Journey With Care podcast, your online community of sojourners who are growing more loving in neighborhoods all across Canada. We'll navigate into hot topics about child welfare, faith and reconciliation. Be challenged with real life stories and honest conversations that will inspire you to love others well. We're glad you've joined us on this Journey With Care.
1: Hello, welcome to another episode of Journey with Care. My name is Johan, and I'm your host for today's interview. On today's episode, I'm going to have a conversation with my friend Jared Ross. I met Jared back in 2016 when I was with a team helping out at a youth conference in Eston, Saskatchewan. My first experience with Jared was seeing this young Indigenous fellow step up to the mic in one of the sessions and shift the atmosphere in a room as he began to sing. I remember turning to a friend beside me and our eyes were big and we both understood what each of us was thinking. This guy has something. He is anointed and has a gift and calling on his life. Jared and I have had relatively short meetings and conversations over the years. I'm excited that I actually get to sit down and hear his story. Jared, welcome to the Journey with Care podcast.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Now, the plan is to have two different conversations with you over the next few episodes. In this one, I really just want to get your story and maybe help us as a church, as the larger church, to understand some of those moments in your life that have influenced your pursuit with the Lord and the calling on your life. And maybe in the next episode, we'll have a conversation around your ministry and your heart for your people and how the larger church can journey alongside with you. All right, so let's go back. Tell us a bit about your journey. Where did you grow up? What was your home life like?
2: So, grew up in uh, Cross Lake, Manitoba, which is about a eight hour drive. Sometimes you can do it in seven and a half, but um, I think just uh, what a normal life looked like. Actually, Cross Lake is called Pemmican Nation, so that's where I grew up. Everybody probably knows where it's from because we have a famous guy who's from there named Ernest Moniez. Initially called uh, King of the North, apparently, but he's my grandfather.
1: What was he famous for?
2: Um, well, he's a famous indigenous singer songwriter so he writes like old sometimes i think his first album was originals that he wrote and most of the stuff he sings is like gospel tunes and so i think that's like part of my half family where the music comes from for sure also we're famous for having a nhl player brady keeper from cross lake manitoba plays for the vancouver canucks now oh nice yeah so that's what we're known for at the moment i think we're very proud of those two but um just growing up and Cross like, what a normal day looked like if we're not doing school from like nine to three. I think just around the house, we were, I was used to just growing up with my grandmother and my aunts and uncles in the same house, about maybe six of us living there in a five bedroom place. Wake up to grandmother either smoking fish or she's uh, making fresh bannock each time. I wake up. So, like, there was always food. For one thing I remember, but Bannock was kind of a normal thing. Um, I was glued to the TV when I was young, so I didn't really get a chance to experience like my family does hunting, my family does trapping, but at the same time I was like I was glued to the TV. So <laughs> other than food being baked around, we always had visitors over we were, it's a big thing in my grandmother's place. It's just hospitality was one thing. And we had a ton of visitors, we had a lot of food, a lot of family gatherings. We watched a lot of movies as a family too, so like movies were a big thing. For us like i remember home alone being a big thing around christmas all of us gathered around to watch that or any other movie that was being put on the local channel that was still in theaters or something like that or just came out on dvd or vhs at the time we used to get together as a family and watch
1: those so did you grow up with any siblings around you and
2: yeah before i knew they were my brothers i went to school with Two of my siblings. So um brother Lyndon was the first one born. I was the second one. And uh Dusty was the young one. That was before Harlan was born, which is my other brother from my dad's side. I went to school with these guys and uh we became friends, but this was before I knew they were actually my brothers, because their dad was my dad. But um yeah, my sister Marilyn was born I think when I was about maybe eight or nine. So she was the first sibling I had growing up around my grandmother's place and then my mom got married. Um, second sibling Nikki, but she mostly grew up with her and Brandon, Manitoba. So I used to travel there when I was thirteen just to get away from the reserve for a while. Dad thought it would be good for me to experience what city life was like at that age. So um twelve hour or thirteen hour travels from Cross Lake to Brandon was kind of the thing for three summers. And uh my little brother My youngest one, Ken. But I grew up with all three of them uh, running around the house when we were young. But on top of that, we had a lot of cousins too. So like we had a lot of them running around. So I feel like I didn't just have six siblings. I felt like I had over 50 sometimes.
1: So what would you say was the role that you played in your household?
2: Um, My family tells me like I'm the youngest uh, sibling of cousins. Like I was the first one born out of all of them. So I think that first... uh, role model thing came was given to me like you're kind of the oldest so you need to set an example in some way so um I think they always reminded me that uh I think they were kind of just like proud in a way they just used to tell me yeah Jared's the like first of the youngest siblings of cousins so like he's the first one and he's doing this stuff and it wasn't until I became a Christian they put me more on a pedestal I didn't want to be on where it's just like I didn't want them to be like okay he's a Christian so follow his example you know he's not drinking he's not doing this or something like that so I, I remember that so just like even now uh, what I feel is my role as being the oldest cousin is uh, just being there for them when they need me just to be a listening ear if they need to talk to me most of the time it's just like you move away for a while and my cousins usually just like shake my hand when I come home or before it used to be like, we used to tease each other and stuff like that. But I think now that in some way we got older, it's just always handshakes. But at the same time, I just want to let them know, you know, I'm still your cousin, you know, you can talk to me about anything. And um, I just want to be there for each and every single one of my cousins, my siblings, just to be that person they can talk to and listen to. Because, you know, I went through a lot and I feel like my story is mostly like I went through some things that a kid should never go through. And that's kind of just what I want to be for my cousins where like hey, whatever you have going on I understand but if it's like hard drugs I never touch that stuff but at the same time just like help me understand what you're going through and why you're doing what you do you know stuff like that just being a listening ear
1: so you said you became a Christian at some point and that's kind of where they set you on a pedestal did you feel the pressure of that from your family
2: I mean I, I I'm not sure if they ever put me on that but I just I I think uh, Personally, for me, I was just like, I didn't want to be on that if they tried voicing it to them. But yeah, I think when I became a Christian, I think I was the first one to convert to Christianity because my family is mostly from like a Roman Catholic and United background. And um, I think what I remember mostly from that, going to church with them was just like, it's usually on occasions. Christmas, they had mass. So we went to that as a family. I think just like prayer was introduced to me from my grandmother, she always prayed during the bigger meals like Thanksgiving or Christmas and stuff like that. And so like I was introduced to Jesus at a young age, I, but I remember going to a Sunday school, the reserve and uh, we just colored a picture of Jesus. I was just like, I don't know what this is about. <laughs> and we just saw pictures of him where he's like white, blonde hair, blue eyes, you know? So that was my first introduction on that. But yeah, it's again, we coming back to, uh, being a Christian and the pressure. I think it was just like understanding the gospel at a young age. And it's just like, uh, it's not about religion. It's about relationship, obviously for one thing. It's, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, I still make mistakes. I'm not a perfect person anymore or something like that. The pressures of being a Christian at that age was just like, I still make mistakes. I'm still the same Jared. I'm not just like one and done Christian. And, you know, sometimes you slip a curse word when you're <laughs> driving in Winnipeg or uh, you get frustrated, your patience runs dry sometimes living in a city and you know, little things like that. But
1: So let's go back. Tell me that story about when you decided to make that decision to follow Jesus.
2: One of my uh, best friends, Nathan Halkrow, came into my life when I was about 17. I went to a metal show and it was his band and they used to do a bunch of free shows on the reserve. But I remember meeting him and he was like completely different than what I would expect because metalheads they're usually like tough, but this guy was all smiles and I was just like, dude, you're not the person I expected you'd be. <laughs> and then, uh, we went on a Canadian heritage trip in our high school. We went to like Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, and Quebec, but it wasn't until, uh, I shared a room with him. He actually like opened up the Bible in front of me and, uh, just pointed at it. said, like, you believe in that stuff? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. And it was from that trip on, like we did a lot of walks on the reserve and he started sharing his faith towards me. And I think most of the times, like I always had a belief in God ever since I was like young walking home, I was always scared to walk in the dark. So like I had to talk to God or something like that. So I always believed, but it wasn't until he shared what the gospel was and who Jesus was. And I remember asking him like, can Jesus forgive you for this? Can Jesus forgive you for, you know, swearing or smoking cigarettes or drinking like this and that? And He made it very clear that Jesus forgives. He's a loving father and this and that. And he started sharing me about Eston College and uh, Encounter and what the worship was like because on the reserve, I was so used to not seeing youth in the church. And he was telling me about some youth raising their hands, dancing at the altar and just experiencing freedom in worship. But yeah, it wasn't until I met him I was introduced to the gospel. And I think uh, uh, when I was 18 to 19, that's when he shared his faith. And I gave my life to the Lord when I was 19, which was March of 2012. I think it's marking close to the 10 year or 11, yeah.
1: You said growing up, you went through some things that no one should have to go through. Are you willing to share what some of those things were?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think this is where it just gets more vulnerable. And I'm yeah. I'm usually an open book and I don't mind sharing about it. But yeah, I think uh, one of the things for me was, um, you know, we learned about residential schools at a young age in the educational system, we were all taught about that. And it wasn't until I got older that I realized that, um, you know, even though we didn't attend residential schools, we kind of, you know, got the bad fruit of it. It was still in our house. Mostly my family members who did go, you know, abused alcohol sometimes. And I remember waking up to a bunch of partying. I think that's how they just dealt with the pain and trauma from it. And, um, in the comfort of my own grandmother's house, like that, I was sexually molested by my cousin. And I think that brought a lot of confusion and a lot of anger, but it wasn't just my cousin. I dealt with it from a friend of mine too. And uh, I think just the closest people who I thought would be the ones protecting me actually did that stuff to me. So like, I think that brought a lot of confusion and anger. And on top of that, there was like a lot of bullying at school. I was initially known as the gross kid in school at a young age. I think like just dealing with such growing up in a house where I had a grandfather like I don't blame him for this, but I was exposed to pornography. I think at seven, he was watching it in the living room, and I was sitting there not knowing what was going on. I was just watching cartoons like five seconds ago, and then he just switched the channel. I remember my grandmother coming and just yelling at him, just saying like, "Why are you watching this?" He's sitting there, and I was just like, "I don't know what I'm, I don't know what's going on." But like monkey see, monkey do, you know, you get curious. You didn't have a mom or like I didn't have my mom or dad around when I was young. So I had my aunts and uncles, so no one taught me about what sex was or birds and the beasts and what to do, what not to do. So like I had a next door neighbor and we just did some things we weren't supposed to. And I remember losing my innocence at the age of nine, eight. And that was such a young age just to experience what sex was and waiting till marriage. I didn't hear any of that stuff. So some people caught wind of who I lost my virginity to and she was known as the gross girl in school and I became that instantly. So all my friends who were girls turned against me and, you know, on top of that bullying from, I think like grade two to um, graduation, basically, I had problems with women in general because I didn't have my mom around and dealing with that earlyhood trauma of losing my innocence and dealing with the sexual molestation from cousin and friend. I was just like very angry. So the way I dealt with it was just smoking cigarettes and going out for sports. I felt like that was the only way I could release some tension that I was dealing with. But um, I think uh, realizing like uh, where I'm from and how much we hold on to such trauma that from residential school that I like, I, I know I didn't go, but I felt like I dealt with the bad fruit of it and it was in the comfort of my own home. And I feel like we're still dealing with this hurt that, you know, it takes more than just to pray it away or just being there, you know, but we definitely need a lot of healing from it. And I had to walk through that with God and it wasn't easy, but he definitely was very patient. And I think just, uh, I remember one day in college, he showed me a vision of residential schools. I remember there's a scene in that movie, Passion of the Christ. He was about to be Whipped by the Roman soldiers. And there's one scene where he looks at the camera and I was brought to that in a closed eye vision. And he brought me to his eyes and I saw everything about First Nations people, like uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women in his eyes. And I saw the residential schools and I pretty much saw everything that the First Nations people gone through. And I came out of his eyes and he said, Tell your people I remember them. And then the whip came down. And I remember coming out of that vision, just bawling my eyes out. And that's when I knew, like, okay so residential schools weren't from you and realizing in uh revelation 7 9 to 10 where it talks about i saw all tribes and all tongues coming together and holding palm branches and salvation belongs to our king and i was well this makes sense why you made us who we are we're not to be ashamed to be indigenous to be first nation because initially the i think the intent of uh residential schools was to kill the indian and to not make them speak their language and just it's like, yeah, that wasn't from you. You know, you made us indigenous for a reason. You want us to be proud and you helped us and created us to live off the land. I feel like that's from you too, you know, so I, I dealt a lot with that and him just showing me that stuff, it just gave me a lot of vision on, you know, being a indigenous leader as well.
1: Obviously, you've had a lot of dialogue with the Lord through through this, even, even through that vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've had to come through some healing. I mean... We still deal with things from our past, but what did that healing journey look like for you to get you where you are today?
2: I think most of my healing journey came from uh, Eston College. I walked through it there. I think the Lord showed me a lot going to that college. But uh, I think it first started was uh, when I first became a Christian. I remember coming home from Eston College uh, encounter weekend, and uh, I remember just reading through the Bible, reading through the Gospels. I I remember just reading from Matthew to John, There was this one in Matthew after he mentions, uh, I think it's Matthew 5, it was after the Lord's Prayer, right after that portion of scripture, it mentioned, if you forgive those who sinned against you, my Father in heaven will forgive you in heaven. And uh, if you withhold that forgiveness, then my Father in heaven will forgive you of your sins. And I remember in that moment, that's when he brought up uh, my cousin molesting me. And I remember pushing away the Bible and was like, why did you bring that up? Like, why did you bring that up? I remember just shaking, walking around my dad's trailer at the time. like, why? You know, why did you bring that up? I remember just asking that question a bunch. And it took me a while to like calm down. And again, just the Lord's patience. I felt like he was walking me through it. And he didn't have to say a word when I was asking him why. But I remember just sitting down and I remember asking him again, like, why did you bring that up? And he said to me like, okay, Jared, think about this you were at encounter and you experienced me. What did, what was that like? You know? So he kind of reflected the time I gave my life to him. And I remember just like, well, I felt peace and freedom for the first time. You know, if I can better explain on what that was like is I felt like my birthday, New Year's and Christmas rolled into one. And I was just like, I've never felt that before. I never felt freedom. I felt like myself. I really felt truly, I found who I was supposed to be. And I was just experiencing that forgiveness. I could never just, I feel like thank you's not enough from getting given it to Jesus. And um, he said, well, don't you think your cousin deserves that? Don't you think she deserves that same forgiveness? And I was like, well, yeah, of course. And uh, he just told me, read it again. He's just uh, telling me, if you forgive those who sinned against you, my Father in Heaven will forgive you. And I'm just thinking about, well, I can't. Imagine what she went through. You know, she probably didn't mean to do it. I can't imagine the shame that she's carrying, you know. I remember at a time where he just told me, like, I forgave you so much that, you know, don't you think she deserves this too? And I was like, yeah, but she does. (laughs) And he said, read it again. And uh, I remember just praying, Lord, um, this is really hard, but help me learn to let go. And I don't want to hold on to this. I don't want this to stop me from following you. Just take it. And I remember just praying that. And it wasn't until actually last year, you know, he kind of reminded me, it's like saying it to yourself is one thing, but you're going to have to tell her one day. And I was like, well, I'm not ready for that. (laughs) And then uh, I was sitting in a church service in Zion, apostolic church in Winnipeg, and uh, Rhythm was sharing about uh, being an Indigenous woman and how she was ashamed of that, but now walking in that calling and just having the power that she has now through Jesus and uh, accepting her identity. And I remember hearing the Lord telling me now, and I remember just looking up at the ceilings like, oh, you want me to do that now? He's like, yeah, this is the right time. And, you know, the Lord's timing is perfect. And I remember just uh, messaging my cousin, just letting her know like, hey, you know, I remember what happened at Gukum's house. And I remember telling her like, you don't have to, I know you're probably going to say, I don't remember doing this to you, but you know, a kid doesn't forget what happens to him at a young age, especially when it did so much, you know, and um, that trauma I held on to from it. But I told her like, I don't want to look at you this way anymore. You know, you're, you're family and I can't imagine if this was bothering you. But again, the reason why I'm bringing it up is because this is Jesus doing this through me. And I want you to know that he loves you. He forgives you and wants a relationship with you. And I just let her know, hey, I remember being molested and I remember the stuff that I had to deal with. It was more than once and it happened at Cook himself and he had a good way of hiding it. And I just let her know, don't feel that shame anymore. I'm letting it go. Your family. I love you and I'm praying for you. And I remember she just left it on red and she didn't have to respond. And after that, I remember uh, sitting in that church service and feeling such freedom. I remember just even looking outside was different because I let something go. That was, I was holding on to for so long. And I remember just, I had to go up and share because I had to lead worship. And I was like, guys, I can't hold on to this. Like as a church, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be just like shocked of what we share, you know? But uh, I just want to let you know that I, I let go of this sexual molestation that happened to me. And I just feel such freedom right now that I'm not holding on to this anymore. And, you know, I just want to let, let you know that I'm feeling such a freedom that I've never felt before until I first became a Christian. And I remember a few people coming up after me just with tears in their eyes, just saying like, the Lord's doing such a powerful work through you. And so they were feeling something with what I shared. And I remember my friend, Barrick just had tears in his eyes. Can I give you a hug, man? He was just, uh, You know, just the vulnerability I have and how the Lord set me free, that was definitely something I always look back on in that healing journey that it took to get there. It was just like the Lord's patience is everything and how his timing is perfect and how he walked me through it was just like, you know, a patient father. It felt like it took seven years almost, but he was very patient and bringing the right people along and to prophesy over me, pray for me, and just really seeing who the dad he was, was definitely what brought that healing forth and so that's the healing journey that it took me to get there basically
1: have you had to have any more interactions with this cousin after that
2: um most of the time like she's living like i've seen her a few times and it wasn't until i saw her at kildonan place that i felt like okay i'm this is still not gone you know i still have to talk with her and that's when that conversation came up on thing but no we haven't had an interaction since then like I haven't reached out to call to see how she's doing but I know like I want her to take time to think about what I said and I don't want to feel like I have to get to her and like everything's okay now but I want her to actually just like take the time to reach out to me too because um I don't know how she deals with things because she's not a Christian either and I don't know how she feels about religion but it's just like ever since that chat she hasn't reached out to me
1: have you ever pictured what it'd be like if she came to Jesus?
2: Um, I mean, I'd be very happy for one. Uh, that's my ultimate goal is just to see all my family saved, right? And um, if I pictured that, I just like, man, I can't imagine what the Lord would walk her through. And just to be be that person for her still, you know, that Christian influence, just to let them know, like, hey, what questions you have about Jesus? I can probably answer those for you. But yeah, that's one of the things like I'd be very stoked and very happy if she did
1: that. And I'm praying for her. This just makes me think about Jesus, how we persecuted him, how we mocked him, and how we nailed him to the cross. Yet he forgives us and he prays for us. He intercedes on our behalf to the Father. It's just such a beautiful picture. and I love that story of forgiveness that you shared. Thank you. On this podcast, we've talked about in the past, like one of the questions we've asked people for that first season, especially, we focused on reconciliation and the church with the indigenous people. So what does the word reconciliation mean to you as someone that has been in a white church and a white Bible college primarily?
2: So I think like the reconciliation part, like uh, the way that I live my Christian life is like I try and go by the word and what it says, you know, so ministry of reconciliation out of Second uh, Corinthians 5, 18, about, um, you know, the Lord reconciling people to him, but also at the same time, we carry this ministry of reconciliation, and we're just pleading, come back to God, you know, and um, I think that's just the, the way I viewed reconciliation, was just like, okay, that's what I want for my people as well, and uh, seeing that vision, and also just uh, the revelation Scripture that I mentioned as like the ministry of reconciliation to me just means, like, you know, I want them to be healed from this uh, trauma that came from residential schools. I feel like if we go through that and also just walk through that healing of what happened, but also just not carrying that shame anymore, I feel like we'll just see such a huge revival that comes out of the First Nations people. There's so many young people who are still walking through what I did and not getting the gospel in such a true form. And I feel like once they understand on the healing process, but also understanding the true gospel, I feel like the youth are the key to reach out to every youth in Canada. And I feel like this revival would just start from the First Nations people. I've been getting pictures and uh, visions from people who got that for me, where it's just like, I just see empty war outposts of youth being you know, these are callings that they have on their lives and then we're just waiting for them to get to these empty outposts. And I feel like they're the key to be reached out because there was so much of them dying from suicide and just saying, you know, my life's not enough. And just bringing that ministry of reconciliation is just like, come back to God. You know, that's just what I view as reconciliation. is like taking time to heal more than just praying it away. Actually walking through healing with them is one thing. And yeah.
1: So what would you say is one of the most... Uh, misunderstood things about being an indigenous young person in a white church primarily? Yeah, I think the
2: thing for me from uh, Eston College, I think nobody knew how to deal with what I was going through. Um, I dealt with a lot of insecurities. I think there were times where, you know, I didn't go to class because I was dealing with so much shame. And uh, at the same time, You know, it's the way I handled things was differently because I was walking through healing and I didn't know how to, or nobody guided me on how to walk through it. And I think at that point, like people started seeing me as like, okay, sometimes Jared doesn't come to class. Sometimes, you know, sometimes he makes inappropriate jokes. Like there's a lot of leaders that are hearing like land stealing jokes, but uh, like, I think one of the things that people don't understand is like, we came from such a tight knit community in Cross Lake Manitoba, or even just like Oxford house or anywhere. Than uh, a kid coming from that community to Eston College. And there's such a culture shock to us, even where it's just like, oh, so you didn't grow up in a low income family. (laughs) And uh, I noticed right away, like, there are certain jokes that I made on the reserve that are not funny towards white people. And I was just like, okay, maybe I need to change my tone. And uh, so, like, the leaders saw and heard all this happening. And I felt like they didn't understand, okay, what, you know, what, what is going on. And they probably just saw me as a kid who was, you know, on academic probation because he's not going to class and this and that when really I was just like struggling to figure out, okay, how do I do this thing? You know, writing papers is a challenge and nobody taught me how to write papers because our education level on the reserve is very different compared to what they're learning in Winnipeg or something like that. I remember being told from a teacher that we're on a grade six level and Winnipeg's on 10. Like that's how far behind we are in our education. And I, was, I wasn't prepared for the real world, basically. And I think most of the time, the kids that do go to college or university, they always come back from the reserve. They go out for a while, and then two months later, they're back home. And most of the rumors I hear is like, oh, they drank away their money. When really, it's just like, no, they went through discouragement because nobody taught them how to write papers or this and that. So I think that was one of the huge things where nobody understood what we went through and the culture shock that we had to walk through, nobody taught us or prepared us for that. And I think that's what took time for me to realize. I think it took third year in college to actually figure out, okay, I can do this. I can actually write papers. I can manage to do this stuff. And I remember seeing a a few indigenous kids come from Oxford house or Thompson, Manitoba to Eston. And I saw their struggles and I kind of saw a bit of myself too, where it's just like, I do want to help them, but I don't know them very well. Like I really need to, I wanted to help them walk through their traumas, but I didn't, know them personally to call some stuff out you know so if that makes sense I was just like it took time for me to like get through that healing and get through what I was going through and I voiced it so many times but I felt like there were times where people weren't listening or they were used to seeing Jared as who doesn't come to class (laughs) but um, it took time
1: and still uh, I learned a lot from that too a lot of character building for sure. So what happened around you that helped you overcome that like are there some people that have sown into you spoken to you when you were at college that helped you to
2: yeah um i think sean was one of them for sure like going to him certain times before he left for turkey he was definitely like someone i talked to a lot and i was letting him know like the dreams i was getting or the callings and the visions that i was getting and at the time he said i didn't want to let you know that the lord was calling you to be a leader (laughs) He always wanted to rise up a leader from Cross Lake. So having him just to talk to you was definitely helpful. Um, Aaron Steinley was definitely a mentor throughout my years in college. So like having him was definitely helpful. Um, Adam and Karina Tisdale were definitely like mother and father spiritual leaders in my life for sure. Cause uh Karina was the reason why I became a Christian. So like having them just to talk to and like them encouraging me attending college was definitely what got me through. And also, um, Brian Fuller, Shelly, Shelly was definitely a mother figure. Just having everyone around me in college, like I felt like this is not fair that I have to go through this. I wish everybody in my community felt what I felt, you know? And, um, I think one of the things about Shelly was just like, she knew I was dealing with something is something as little as me walking into the cafeteria and her just smiling at me. It's like, how are you doing, Jerry?" And seeing that smile on her, I'm just like, Shelly, I'm dealing with so much shame. You know, I just finished. I couldn't go to chapel last night because, you know, pornography, I hate it. And she's like, you know, I love you, right? Like, she put her arm around me. Like, you're like a son to me. You know, none of that matters. You know, I just love you for who you are. And having her was definitely something I needed, was seeing her as a mother figure and having these people around me and them calling, you know, that's where I found my callings. Like, I feel like you're called the First Nations people. And then they were the source of my prayers. And Nathan Densley really saw that, where it's just like, dude, every time you pray, you're always bringing up First Nations people. And I feel like you're a pastor because of that. (laughs) So having all these people really walking me through it and calling me to higher places for sure. I definitely needed that and I think that's what helped me get to where I am now.
1: That's good and I think we'll get into more of that calling on your life in in another episode that we're going to do with you. I just want to ask you two more questions. What keeps you up at night? What gets you up in the morning?
2: I think what's been keeping me up lately was just worrying about finances like every other person. I'm kind of living off of uh support fundraising. And I remember just like most of September and October is like, how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to do this? And that's what's been keeping me up lately. It's just I'm a worrying bug most of the time. I feel like everything goes through my mind when I'm trying to sleep and it's the worst thing. I feel like that's what's been keeping me up, but it's just like nothing to worry about. If the Lord wants me where I need to be, He's going to take care of me. right? But it's just holding on to that comfort. It's hard to let go sometimes. So that's what's been keeping me up. But what's keep getting me up in the morning is just you know, living in a house of prayer, I'm just like so motivated to just pray most of the time. It's easy when you're around people who are chasing after the same thing. But um, I think just, you know, looking forward to what the Lord wants to do that day. But also at the same time, I'm trying to like treat a fatty liver. So like waking up, it's like, okay, what am I going to make today? <laughs> they need to make something whole wheat. So like whole wheat pancakes, definitely coffee is one thing I love having. So it's like, those are kind of the selfish things where it's like, all right, black coffee, let's go right away. <laughs> but yeah.
1: So you mentioned you're raising support. So you're actually in a ministry in Saskatchewan, in Strasbourg. Mm-hmm. So you raise support for your position there. So I just want the listeners to be able to have the opportunity to sew into you if that's something that, that they feel called to do. How can they go about doing that, getting a hold of you?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, if they're wanting to uh, support financially, they would just send it directly to me so it's whether it's like e-transfer or just through my email jared underscore ross underscore 96 at hotmail.ca so like they can send it directly to there or just e-transfer or they can even just call or text me too. with number number is two zero four nine nine seven three six zero nine. so like if they wanted to text or call me just to hear more about What I'm doing, I'm looking to send out some support letters. So if they email me and if they want to receive something like that, then they can just ask to
1: you. And we'll have all that information in the show notes if you want to get a hold of Jared and get in touch with him. Uh, So we're actually going to do another episode to talk about your ministry there and what the Lord's called you to, kind of the big picture thing of where he's taking you. But amazing story. Thank you so much for being vulnerable with us today and, and sharing your heart and sharing your story. Yeah. And to end this episode, we're actually going to get you to pull out the guitar here and Play for us one of the songs that you've written out of your healing journey here.
2: Um, so this song came out of uh, the scripture Mark five twenty five to 34. It's just a quick summary. So just the woman that was suffering from bleeding for 12 years touches Jesus' cloak and she's healed from it. So like when I wrote this song, the Lord wanted me to write it from her eyes, actually seeing Jesus walk down the road. And so it was one of those songs that the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me like not finish so it got done literally that night and the chords came about and then yeah this is one of the songs i'm definitely proud of but yeah i just call it the healer
1: Thanks for listening to the Journey with Care podcast.
0: Thanks for listening to the Journey with Care podcast, where paths connect over real life stories and honest conversations. We hope you continue to join us on this journey of faith, reconciliation, and loving our neighbor. Journey with Care is an initiative of Care Impact, a Canadian charity dedicated to connecting and equipping the whole church across Canada to effectively journey in community with children and families in hard places. Learn how
2: Care Impact is transforming the way churches engage child welfare with our Care Portal technology
0: and academy training. To support this podcast or learn more about us, go to careimpact.ca or follow us in the show notes. We're so glad you are part of this journey
2: with us as we journey with care even in the messy. Until next time,